0: Is the earth flat? That's one question. The second question is, does the Bible teach that the earth is flat? Two questions here we're going to cover. And I'm doing this one because a few weeks back, I did a podcast episode on whether the Bible teaches hell is actually underneath our feet, underneath the crust of the earth. Or we could even say is it in the core of the earth if you believe that planet earth is a sphere and that created quite a buzz with a lot of flat earthers they invaded into the live chat they came into the comments and said what's your take dr marshall on flat earth sphere we want you to weigh in and i thought i would weigh in but i want to handle both questions first is the earth flat and then does the bible say the earth is flat? And I want to make that distinction on the two questions because there are three groups of people on this topic. First, there are Christians, there are believers, who believe the Bible teaches the earth is flat, therefore they believe the earth is flat. There's a second group of people, usually atheists, who say, ha ha, your Bible teaches the earth is flat, And we all know, because of NASA and pictures, that the Earth is a sphere. So you Christians are dumb because you follow this archaic, silly book. And then there's a third group. These people are not Christian. They're not religious. They believe the Earth is flat, um, not because of the Bible, but because of conspiracy theory. So they're not, or they would say conspiracy. I've been called a conspiracy theorist a lot, but they would say that, no, there's a cover-up. There's actual evidence to show that the earth is flat. So I'm really focusing on the biblical element today. And what am I going to do? We're going to do three things. First off, I imagine there's a lot of people watching this podcast who probably have not watched the other 700 podcast episodes I've done. My name is Dr. Taylor Marshall. I have a PhD in medieval philosophy specializing in St. Thomas Aquinas, who is arguably the greatest Catholic theologian, philosopher of the last millennium. He died in 1274, and he believed that planet Earth, when he lived in the 1200s, he believed Earth was a sphere. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. So I'm going to go over the history of sphere Earth. Um, I'm trained as a philosopher. I'm going to go through the philosophic origins of understanding the Earth as spherical goes back, of course, to the ancient Greeks. We'll talk about a bunch of things you see on the screen there. Um, up in the your top left is Aristotle's mock-up. In the bottom right is a perhaps biblical Old Testament model of the world. We'll go through this history. And then the next thing we're going to do is we're going to go through just perspe- the, the epistemic or the phenomenological perspective we have as humans here on earth with the galaxy and look at certain language, like the term sunrise, which we probably use today. When you said sunrise today, I got up for the sunrise or I saw the sunrise. Does that mean that you believe the sun is rising? Right? So that even the language we use, um, just because language is used, it doesn't necessarily reveal convictions or ontological realities. And then in the end, I'm going to go through the seven battleground Bible verses regarding what is the shape of the earth. These are verses that talk about uh, the four corners of the earth, the circle. Is is the Hebrew the circle of the earth? Is it the sphere of the earth? Is it a globe? Look at some of the Hebrew words there. And uh, then we'll make some conclusions. All right. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Before we begin... On my podcast, I usually begin with the Our Father in Latin, the Pater Noster. So let us pray, and then we'll jump right into it. O Reimus, in nomine Patris, et fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, es in Celi, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris and amen. Okay, going back in time, we have ancient text. the ancient texts reveal what the usually the upper political, economic and priestly class believed, taught and said. Uh, The people down low, they weren't literate. They didn't get to write uh, documents or make inscriptions on their monuments. So it's hard to say what the normal person down there, they probably had a very primitive or archaic understanding of the universe. Uh, A very common one is what I'm going to call the tabernacle theory, which is we're sort of, uh, we're on the earth and many ancient people had lived Not so much in hard, structured homes, but in tents. And they kind of saw the world as a tent pitched on land. There are other virgins as well. Babylonians, Egyptians. There's other videos on YouTube you can talk about that. But when we get into recorded history, and we start getting into philosophy, we have Pythagoras. You all know him from your Pythagorean theorem. He died around 495 BC, before Christ. Pythagoras. He's a mathematician. He had the strong conviction that the earth was not just a circle, but that it was a sphere. And the sphere is the perfect shape. And you see this all into time. mean, you see this all the way into Dante. If you read Dante's Divine Comedy, you go through the inferno, and then you go to the purgatory, and then you go into heaven, you go into paradise, the paradiso. You see, at the end, even God... Three persons of the Trinity are spherical. It's an analogy. But the idea that the sphere, the ball, is the perfect shape. This goes to Pythagoras. It's adopted and accepted by Plato. In the Timaeus, which is the cosmology of Plato, he is very clear that uh, the universe, Earth, is round. It's a sphere um, with spheres on top of spheres inside of spheres. So basically, this model right here, this is actually an Aristotelian mock-up. Aristotle was a student of Plato. I'll get to him in just a moment. So it's like Russian nesting dolls of spheres moving out. And that's how the world is. By the way, Plato and the Timaeus also said that a cross was inscribed on the sphere. And early church fathers, we're going to get to the church fathers, such as Justin Martyr, St. Justin Martyr, um, said that this was... Uh, the ancient people having these these um, seeds of of the Logos, right? They're having little insights, kind of not really prophetic like the Hebrews had, but they're having insights that even the universe has the cross inscribed on its circle. And this, of course, later on, I'm going to talk about it today, refers to the, the globus that medieval monarchs held. And even in art, Christ is holding what's called the Globus. So we're gonna, we'll get to that if we have time as well. So Plato talks about this in the Timaeus. Of course, it becomes very important in the early church fathers because many church fathers were familiar with the Timaeus and uh, the account of Plato. And Aristotle, who was a student of Plato, adopts the same uh, model. And I already referenced it here. It's right here on my right shoulder. And uh, on my record player, my LP player downstairs, I actually have a much nicer version of this as my turntable. I saw it somewhere, you know, like the cork that you put on your turntable and you put the record on top. I saw that somewhere. They had a really cool um, Aristotelian uh, circles and circles labeled in Latin. I bought that. I put it on my, my record player. It's made for a record player. So that's the Aristotelian model. And, of course, Plato. Aristotle, have a profound impact on Christianity and in particular the West. And this is going to be adopted and, and accepted uh, throughout Christendom, as we'll see. But there is some controversy early on. Now, why did these ancient people, uh, philosophers, these are your smartest guys, everyone's going to admit, hey, who are the top 10 smartest humans uh, in the first five hundred first 500 before Christ? Pythagoras, Plato, and Aristotle are going to be not only in the top ten, but probably in the top five. Uh, There's a consensus here of the spherical nature of planet Earth. Well, they're looking up, they're studying. They're not just philosophers. You actually could call them uh, scientists. They're making observations, especially Aristotle. And they're noticing, for example, when ships go away, you lose the body of the ship, and then you start progressively losing the sails of ship it it seems to be an arc that you see for example here's a shot of some windmills right are those windmills underwater no right it seems that they're not underwater but they're below an arc now these men were also well-traveled they noticed that the constellations were different in in different areas they they noticed the angle of the sun was different. They were making all of these, for example, even in eclipses and in the behavior of the moon, they would see, for example, here's a big shot right there. This is the moon phased, but you can see that the shadow over time is making something round on the moon. And of course, when they looked up, they saw the moon was a sphere. The sun is a sphere. And the stars are circular, it would seem. Uh, Venus, Mars, planets, things that were visible to their eye, sphericals. As you get a little bit later and you get into some of the Christian theologians, now, for example, Origen, who's not a saint, he's not technically a church father, he has some theology based on Platonic philosophy that causes some major errors. One of the accusations made by later theologians, Orthodox theologians, fathers, against Origen and the originists, is that at the resurrection of the body, we would be resurrected, not like how you see me now, but each of us, our resurrection body would be spheres. Spheres would be round. This was a teaching of the originists. I've looked into this. I think probably the, the secret teaching or the understood teaching is that since we, are, we have rational souls and animals and plants have sensitive souls and vegetative souls, but not rational souls, and our rationality is associated with this, that the resurrection of our sphere is this. We have round heads. Spherical here. So, the understanding of the importance of the human head, which is a ball, in a way. You can look at a baby's head. It looks like a pumpkin. The heavenly bodies, all of these things, Patterns of the constellations, eclipses, all these things, lead these intellectual philosophers to a spherical conclusion. Now, the first time we have a Christian on record talking about the shape of the earth is Arnobius. Now, I'm a Catholic. If you're new to the channel, I'm a Catholic. And so for me, I don't go by scripture alone. Catholics go by scripture and tradition. That's because that's how it was in the Old Testament, it's how it is in the New Testament. St. Paul says that we're supposed to obey everything he taught either given by word of mouth or word of mouth, pardon me, or by written letter. So, word of mouth tradition is sacred tradition, and then we have sacred scripture. And then that's interpreted and understood over time through what we call the magisterium, the teaching office of the church. Now, so this is why it's important that, as a Catholic, I'm not just going to rush to Scripture. This is why we're kind of going through the Church Fathers and getting a feel. And I will say, from the get-go, as I researched this and looked into it, there are two theories going on here. One is the Aristotelian, Platonic, Pythagorean, sphere on sphere on sphere, and the Earth is a sphere. The other is more like, I don't think they would have said flat Earth theory, but it's more like this right here. What you have are the pillars of the earth. You're using direct biblical language with a crust of the earth. And then you're going to have a vault or a firmament over that with the stars, the moon, and all that. And then above that, you're going to have deep space, which is sometimes understood as water. Like it's blue. You look up there and it's blue. And you're like, oh, it looks like water. So it's a very literal understanding of the earth. And you see this in the early church in the Syriac church in Syria. For example, St. John Chrys- uh, Chrysostom is from that region. And he seems to, if you look at his writings, he seems to advocate something like flat earth theory. He's a doctor of the church. He's a church father. It's really important. He's coming from that area, and that's how he's perceiving it. Now, if you know about the history of biblical interpretation, what we call hermeneutics, we know that in there's kind of two schools There's the Alexandrian school based in Egypt, which is favoring allegory, symbolism, analogy. And then there is the Antiochian school, it's a Syrian school, which is based on literalism, the literal words of the Bible, taking it as strict as possible. So, not surprisingly, where do we find strict interpretation? of what earth is, Syria, Antioch, and that's where St. John Chrysostom is from. Now, this leads us into the topic of the day, which is, what does the Bible teach? If the Bible's teaching four corners of the earth, pillars of the earth, firmament, does that mean that the Bible definitely teaches something like a flat earth theory? We're going to get to that. Okay, so the earliest reference we have by a Christian on the shape of the earth is Arnobius. And I went and looked it up. I read it. There's three references. He makes three references in different places to the earth and the universe as being a sphere. He uses the word sphere. Now, the reason I mention this is some people might say, well... The Romans had a spherical understanding and some of the Greeks. So what happened is is when Constantine came along and he he quote unquote paganized Christianity. I've written a lot about that. See my book, uh, Eternal City. When they paganized Christianity, that's when the spherical part came in. Well, actually, Arnobius is, I mean, he's before Constantine. He's before Constantine. And he says, it's a sphere. The very first one is Athenagoras. He's writing in 175. He says, spherical. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. The three references are not Arnobius. It's Athenagoras. Also, Justin Martyr speaks about a spherical universe. Now, it's an illusion because he's allu- he's alluding to Plato's Timaeus and how Plato put the cross on the, the sphere. Um, and so he's approvingly citing Plato in the Timaeus in this section. So although he doesn't say, I believe Earth is a sphere, he is bringing in the argumentation of the cosmology of Plato to make his, a point, his point in his book, uh, The First Apology. And that's if you want to look it up, that's chapters 55 and chapter 60. So we're seeing all these early Christians before Constantine talking about spherical universe. Uh, Except, as I said, in the Syrian church, we're seeing more of the flat earth. Now, as time goes on, as I mentioned in the beginning, we start to see this instrument used in Christianity. It's called a globus cruciger. And monarchs would hold this. In fact, their investiture as a king Included receiving this orb. And it represented uh, Christendom, it represented God's power, Christ's power as King of Kings over the world, over the earth. The cross on the globe. And it's, although Plato seems to talk about the cross sort of emblazoned on the globe, this is the same idea of the cross on the globe. And it shows, That the elite, the kings, the pope, the bishop are understanding the Platonic, the Aristotelian, round, spherical understanding of planet Earth. Where else do we see this? Well, we see it in, like I said, the kings carrying. I mean, how many pictures have you seen of a king holding a scepter? The three things that denote a king are the crown, the scepter, and the orb. Or the globus. You also start seeing it in art. So here's a painting of uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary and our baby Lord Jesus. And look right there is the sphere, symbolizing what? Earth. Where we live. Uh, another one is here of Christ our Lord. Same idea. Uh, the idea is that creation is a sphere. And it is a interlocking of circles. Not flat circles. Orbs. Orbs. So this is the Catholic tradition. And it comes when we get into the medieval era. It is the... uh, St. Isidore has... uh, Some of the language is a little bit confusing, but it seems pretty clear that Isidore holds to a spherical... Earth, again, and we're going to talk about perspective in a moment. When I, this morning, said, Hey, uh, honey, I I got up early and watched the sunrise. It was beautiful. I wish you were there. Because I say the word sunrise, it, it, it doesn't mean that I actually believe that the sun is rising. Right? I know I don't believe that, but that's the language that I use. So there's the perspective language. This is why sometimes you can't always just quote, Something in Christian tradition, or as we'll see in a little bit, the Bible, and say, Well, that is definitely that because that is what is said. Okay, now a great example of sort of the height of Christian philosophy, Christian theology, is St. Thomas Aquinas. He died in 1274, and he says the earth is a sphere, and he takes it for granted that the earth is a globe, is a sphere. If you want to find that, it's in Prima Secundae, Summa Theologiae, Prima Secundae, question 54. Question 54. So you might ask yourself, well, was Thomas Aquinas part of a conspiracy? Did he get his paycheck from NASA? Why would a guy in 1274, who's teaching at the University of Paris, teaches in Italy, University of Paris, one of the most well-known minds of his time, if not the greatest, right there with St. Bonaventure. And he's not only teaching that earth is a sphere, he's assuming his audience all believe that earth is a sphere. And this brings us to why I'm even making this video as I talked about Thomas Aquinas referring to the location of hell as actually being a geological location inside the center of the earth. And Thomas Aquinas is aware of two theories. One is that hell would be in the middle of the earth, in the core. And he didn't even know about what was in the core. Now we know. And he said there's another theory that he's read about of hell being sort of floating beneath relative to the sphere of earth. Right? So in that video that I did, I talked about, well, obviously it's not that. it would have to be the one the, view, the viewpoint that hell is in the earth and earth is full of fire and heat. And uh, it does seem to match up. I talked about traditions of volcanoes and mystics seeing, you know, for example, the soul of the heretical king, Theodoric being thrown into a volcano by an angel, etc. So he's Thomas Aquinas, in a way, is the reason that this video is even happening. And he believed that the world was a sphere. Now, this may be blowing some people's mind because if you were like me when you were in third or fourth grade and you're learning about Christopher Columbus, your teacher says, Now it used to be, boys and girls, that all the people before 1492 were completely dumb and ignorant and horrible. And everyone believed that the earth was flat and you would go right up to the edge and either fall off, or there's all these monsters eating people like hungry hippos at the edge of the earth, and then we learned in 14 and 1500s that the world is a sphere. When in reality, going back 500 years before Christ, the smartest people, and the Pythagorean schools in Italy, Plato, Aristotle, early Church fathers all the way up into the 1200s, really the, the Catholic Renaissance is the 1200s. Earth is a sphere. Earth is a sphere. And we see that not only in their statements, but like I said, in the, the religious art. And we see this in all over manuscripts. The earth as a sphere, and everything moving around it. Of course, this is where we get controversial with Copernicus and Galileo. I'm not getting into that today. By the way, if you like this video, please like it. And If you're new, please subscribe and share it on Facebook. I appreciate that. Okay, so now we move into modern observations. Um, we know, for example, the Sun is a globe. We know that the Moon is a globe. We can tell by the shadows unless you believe every single person who looked through a telescope is part of a conspiracy in modifying the shadows. But the shadows reveal a globe, a round shape. So the sun is a globe, the moon is a globe, Mars is a globe, Venus is a globe, Jupiter is a globe, Saturn is a globe. Everything we're seeing out there is a globe. And yet some people would say, well, no, we're not on a globe. We're on a plate. We're on a round platter. We're on, this is, I know there are different mock-ups and I want to be, I'm not trying to mock anyone. If you believe the earth is flat, that's your belief, right? This is not mockery. And in reality, I'm not trying to convince people one way or the other. I'm just going over some data points and I'm going to go through the Bible verses in a little bit. But this is sort of a popular mock-up of what flat earth people believe things look like. And they see it kind of like a snow globe. So that's the base of the snow globe. And then there's a firmament above it. All right, so that's kind of... And that goes back to kind of this. This right here is kind of a snow globe. Right? You have the pillars of the earth, which kind of shows that this isn't really a flat earth theory. Right? But you have the pillars. Down below, you have Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell. It's the underworld, the netherworld. You have the oceans, you have the land, and then you have this this firmament, this ark, this tabernacle, this tent that goes over everything, and the stars and the moon the sun are all in that, moving in that. And then beyond that, you have the waters of heaven and the celestial realm where God and the angels are. It's a very literalistic, very Antiochian understanding of the Bible. And I would admit, if you took... Well, I, I won't admit this, but I'll say it can be very convincing that if you took everything as literal as possible, I definitely see how someone could construct this version, although I disagree with it, as I'll explain when we go through the Bible verses. So we look up there and we see uh, balls, we see globes, we see spheres, we don't see plates. And as I mentioned in the opening, when you see a ship leave port, the body of the ship begins to decrease, and then if it's a sailboat, the sails and the mass begin to disappear, which appears to look like falling under an arc. If you stand on a mountain and you look out, you can see the arc turning. Moreover, when you're on the ground and you go to the mountain, you can actually see more beyond the arc turning that you can see from down at sea level. I was on an airplane yesterday. Flying back to Texas, up in the plane, I could see, I was thinking about this show, I could see this arc, right? It's different on land than it is above, which emphasizes the, the falling away of the curvature. And if it's flat, why is there that curve? And why do you see more when you're on a mountain or on an airplane? So those are just the perspectives. And of course, we could. I'm not a specialist in constellations and astronomy, but the same kind of things with regard to the direction of light at different angles coming into Earth reveal in the shadows. By the way, that's how the early Greeks they actually estimated and figured out what modern scientists, if you believe them, if you don't believe it's all a conspiracy, say the circumference of the Earth is. How'd they do that? Well, they, looked, they took a tower. They took a well. It's kind of complicated. They did the angles and the distance. And using trigonometry, they projected and they found the circumference of the earth. They were a little bit off, but they got pretty close. Again, it was based on height, shadows, wells, etc. Angles. Math. All right, now let's look at Scripture. This is the final part of the video. And I went and I watched some flat earth videos, like globe busters and all these things and, and other sites. I, I noticed that mostly the flat earthers are Protestant. I used to be a Protestant. I'm a Catholic by conviction. Well, there are some Catholics who believe in uh, flat earth, though I would say if you were part of the majority intellectual tradition of the Catholic church, you would be uh, pro-sphere. You'd be pro-globe. Um, but let's jump into these. So I I assembled the verses that people use, um, to make their point, to make their conclusion that the earth is flat and that we, if the Bible says the earth is flat, it's not a sphere. Who cares what NASA says? Who cares what astronomers say? That's all bunk. It's all, you know, there's Freemasons working in NASA, which of course there are. Uh, and you know, I've, I've written a whole book on topics relating to Freemasonic infiltration as it relates to theology and philosophy and history in the Catholic Church. So you know I'm not afraid of that. You know I'm not going to run away from that. But what does the Bible say? Does the Bible actually teach that the earth is round? I'll be using the Dewey Rames Bible. I know some people will disagree with it. It's a Catholic translation. And we'll go through some of these verses. And hopefully I can put them all on the screen, if it will let me. There it goes. Alright, first one. This is 1 Corinthians 16.30. Sorry, 1 Chronicles. My bad. First Chronicles 16, verse 30. Let all the earth be moved at his presence, for he hath founded the world immovable. This is a verse used by flat earthers. Now, of course, the word flat is not here. But their point is, is look, if you believe the earth is a ball, you believe the ball is rotating. And here, the verse says that the earth is not moved. It's not rotating. It's not going in an orbit. It's not going around the sun. It's not rotating. It is immovable. Now, what does that mean? As we go through these, we'll talk about perspective. The earth itself, underneath us, does not move. There's a consistency to it. Now, there are earthquakes. You might even say, well, doesn't an earthquake, that's the whole, we feel the world moving. Does that disprove that the world is immovable? No, the point of this is that let the let all the earth be moved at his presence. Who's that? God, for he hath founded the world immovable. In other words, in the natural realm, God has established things as they are. But with God's presence, the earth would and could be moved. Right? This is a distinction being made in the ancient Hebrew understanding of the distinction between the natural and the supernatural. It is not a description of flat earth. Okay? So that's one of them. The next one, actually, the next three verses relate to the four corners of the earth and the Get it, get it on here for you to the four corners of the earth or the four quarters of the earth, and this is Isaiah 11 12. And he shall set up a standard unto the nations, and shall assemble the fugitives of Israel, and shall gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four quarters of the earth, the four quarters. We find this also in the New Testament. Why don't I just put it all on the screen, so you can see all of it? Oh, come now. Here we go. Sorry, takes a little moment. I don't want to delete everything. So here are two more. Uh, the next one is Acts ten eleven, and he saw the heaven opened and a certain vessel descending. As it were, a great linen sheet let down by the four corners from heaven to the earth. This idea of four corners, both of heaven and of earth. We see it also in the apocalypse, Revelation 7.1. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the universe, holding the four winds of the earth that they should not blow upon the earth, nor upon the sea, nor on any tree. So we have the language of four quarters, four corners, and we also see uh, this vision of it let down from the four corners of heaven. So what's going on here? If you're talking about this as a round sphere circle, where are the corners on a circle? Obviously, they don't exist. What is this talking about in the Bible? Four corners, four quarters. And does heaven have four corners as well? It says so in Acts, talking about St. Peter's vision. Again, we're talking about perspective here for the human. This is phenomenological. I'm not a phenomenologist. I'm against that. I'm a Thomistic realist in my philosophy. But we have to all admit that when phenomena hits us, that's how we often speak as humans. Let's think again about our anatomy. I have a head. My head's a ball. It's round you got a big forehead. People make fun of it. I have eyes on the front. So this is the main direction anatomically that God made me in. I can't change it. I, you don't have two eyes here or an eye here and an eye on your chest. You have the two eyes here. So I have this direction. And then there is the part that I cannot see. Like, you know, you hear people say, do you have my six? They mean, do you have my six o'clock? Right? This is the 12 o'clock, and 6 o'clock is due back, like on a clock. So I have front, and I have back, as a human. And then I've got these things on me, arms and hands. I've got left, and I've got right. This is how we are made as human. Where the eyes are, front, back, left, right. And this is how we, as humans, anatomically made like this, move about the world. We call it as we move in relation to the ground up below us, North, south, east and west. We pers- we, we perceive the world through the grid of our anatomy North, east, south, west, every single human culture, whether you are, Aztec, any kind of Native American, uh, Korean, South Pacific, uh, you're in the southern tip of Africa or the northern part of Africa, you're in Italy, you're in Spain, you're Norwegian, anywhere you go, we have the four directions. And that is the four corners of the earth. So when the angels are collecting from the four corners, they're To collecting everything from every direction. In front of you, behind you, on your left, and on your right. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, the terms for left and right are directional. North, south, it's understood that you'd be looking east, and you understand north is this side, and south is this hand. That's even how they speak in Hebrew based on their hands with regard to the directions. They understand directions with reference to their anatomy. So when we see these verses, let me put them back on here. Yeah, these are three verses. There are others in the Bible talking about the four corners and the four quarters. This is referring to our understanding of direction. I would also bring up when, I think it's kind of amusing. Again, I'm not making fun or denigrating anyone who's a flat earth person. But I think it's interesting that they bring up these three verses and others to prove that the earth is in a sphere. And then they say, this is what it really looks like. And I'm like, I still don't see the four corners. (laughs) It's a round plate. (laughs) Right? So even they have to say what I just said, which is, well, four corners refers to four directions. And again, remember there are pilots in planes and there are pilots And captains of ships who are navigating all over the sky and all over the earth. And they use the four corners, the four coordinates, north, east, south, west, to get everywhere. It works on a ball, works on a sphere. So by using the term four or quadrants or corners, it's no problem, even if you believe. That the earth is a sphere. Now, the next one is the big one. This is actually, uh, I believe I cited it in my previous video, not knowing originally that I kicked the hornet nest. It's the Isaiah 40, 22 verse. Let me just clean it up real quick before I put it on the screen. This is the one. Quote, It is he that sitteth upon the globe of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are locusts, are as locusts. He that stretches out the heavens as nothing and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. End quote. People say, look, the heavens are a tent. They're like this. It's like canvas spread out from a point over the earth. You can't put a canvas tent over a ball. You can't really, and if you're going to cover a whole ball, it's going to look more like Aristotle's mock-up, right? If it's flat, it's going to look more like that. And I quoted this verse and I used the Catholic translation of the Dewey Rhames Bible, which says globe, because I was talking about is hell in the heart, the center of the earth. Interesting fact here, by the way, because now people are saying, Taylor, we want you to do a um, geocentric video. That's going to be your new video. you got to talk about, is the earth in the center of the universe? I think what's interesting about that is, and those are mostly Christians who believe that, and a lot of traditional Catholics believe that. What's interesting about it is they say, well, obviously the earth would be in the center of the universe because the earth is where man is, and it's where Christ Came, the second person of the Trinity incarnate of the Virgin Mary, died, rose again. So that would mean that we have to be at the center. But if you go back to the video I did a couple or a week ago on is hell in the center of the earth, it would literally mean that the center of the world is not Earth. It would be the center of the globe. And what's the center of the globe? Hell. Do you really want hell at the center of the universe? And then if we want to go even deeper, who's at the very bottom that the center of hell, Satan himself. So that would mean the the center of the entire universe at the deepest part of hell would actually be Satan. I don't like the theology of that. So anyway, that's just a tangent. Let's get into this verse. Now, to really get down into it, we got to do the Hebrew. And I did pull the Hebrew. Let me make sure I've got it. Yeah, this is it. And it, this is an interlinear breakdown. People said, you can't use that, Marshall. It says globe. That's not the original Hebrew. The Hebrew says circle, not globe. You're using the, the Dewey Rhames version, which is based off the Latin Vulgate, which we Catholics have to accept. Maybe I should pull that. Maybe I should put, the, put it on there. We'll do the Hebrew first. And also the Greek Septuagint, which is also... Uh, venerable uses the word gurong where we get the word gyro like gyroscope or the euro you know like the sandwich there's a piece of meat circling you know you go to like uh, Europe you know but in like Arab districts even like Munich you can find it there's a hunk of meat and it's just turning and it's sweating and the guy has this like shaver thing like and he shaves the meat off puts it in a sandwich for it it's delicious I love it. My favorite Euro in Rome is the one by Santa Maria Maggiore. In fact, people have seen me and said, hey, Taylor. And I'm there at the Euro shop in Rome near Santa Maria Maggiore. That's called a Euro, a gyro, a gyroscope. That's what the actual Greek Septuagint says, which has obvious meanings of spherical. And it comes into the Latin Vulgate that way as well. That's why you see globe here in the English. But here's the Hebrew. Most people who are into this argument are going to want to talk Hebrew. Oh my goodness, it's big. I'll leave it big. All right. So this is the verse in Hebrew with the Hebrew words. Now you need to know this. Pop up my seat. Get a little taller here. There we go. I'll make it a smaller too. You need to know this about Hebrew. Okay, friends? Hebrew goes from right to left. In English and Greek and Latin, Spanish, all we read left to right. But Hebrew is different. Hebrew goes the other way. So you're actually going to be reading from this side of the screen going to this side, right to left. So let me blow it up for you a little bit here. Okay, so you can start seeing the Hebrew. I have taken... Uh, two years of Hebrew. Two? Yeah, I think it's two years of Hebrew. And I can read this, but it's been so long, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I know if I try, I'm going to make some mistakes. And then everyone in the comments is going to be like you're a moron, etc. So I am just going to focus on the actual word here, which is the third word in the verse. Okay. And you can actually follow the English along there, right? He who sits, there's the verb. All right, And then we have a preposition, above, all, above. And then you see the next word here, and it's hug, hug. It looks like hug, hug, hug. And what does that mean? Here, it's translated circle. And all the flat earth people are like, yes, sir, it is a circle. And of course, it is ambiguous in the Hebrew. It can mean circle. It can also mean around, like you move about, you go around, I'm going to go around, uh, you go around the city, or you could walk around the market, right? It has these meanings, but it comes into the Greek and the Latin with the guron. Now, whether it's circle, whether it's globe, I honestly believe, now that I've done some research, I really don't think that translating it sphere or globe is responsible. In fact, if I had to translate the Hebrew here after looking through the lexicon, the Hebrew lexicon, I think circle probably is the right translation. And I would translate it as circle. However, I'm going to make this a little smaller now. Everybody can see it. Do I need to keep it up there? I'm going to get rid of it. Even though I translate it as circle, look, globes are circles also. And that, I think this is why it doesn't matter as much. Because if I gave a, if I showed a ball to my eight-year-old and said, is this a circle or is this circular? She's going to say yes. In fact, almost every single person you meet is going to look at a ball and say, it's a circle. I mean, even when you're talking about this, you're talking about a globe in the middle with globes around it, but we're talking about a circular dimension. So, even when you translate it as circle, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. When you say circle, it doesn't mean it's It's not saying he that sitteth upon something that is not a sphere. It doesn't say that. So by saying circle, I mean, it's not preventing it from being a globe either. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, a great biblical scholar who believes that the earth is a sphere, is going to look at this and say, yeah, there's no problem with that. It's a circle. No problem. The inhabitants are as locusts. I mean, you could kind of be cheeky and say, well, are they really locusts? No, it's as of. Um, And God spreads out the heavens as a tent to dwell in. And this is where you get kind of back to the tabernacle theory. The heavens as a tent. And inside the tent is the moon and and the sun, and they're sort of moving within the tent, right? So, again, even people who hold to this mock-up in the snow globe theory, um, they, do they really believe it's a tent? Is it spread out like fabric? No. In fact, even in this mock-up, it's not like that. And in the snow globe mock-ups, it's not like that. It kind of goes back again to the four corners. It's like, well, where are the corners? Where is the tent? And you say, well, he's kind of using an analogy. He doesn't literally mean a 10. You're like, oh, well, if you're talking about an analogy, now we can go into the Alexandrian interpretation of sacred scripture. Right? Okay, the next verse is also from Isaiah. And it's Isaiah 66, a great chapter. One of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Uh-oh, I just lost my screen. Stand by. And it reads, Thus saith the Lord. By the way, I hear some people say, Thus saith the Lord. They do two, uh, two syllables there. It's not. If you want to say it properly, it's thus saith the Lord. Just like you say, Thus says the Lord. It's one syllable. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth my footstool. What is this house that you will build to me, and what is this place of my rest? Okay, so here's the idea that God sits above the earth, and the earth is his footstool. It's where he's put his feet, right? Now, they're like, well, a footstool is flat. Not necessarily. I actually did a quick Google search, and I found some round ones, and I found... All kinds of shades, but mostly, yeah, when you find a, foot, a footstool or an ottoman, it does have a flat top on it, right? But again, I don't think that you can really use this verse to argue um, for a footstool. In fact, most of the ancient footstools that I found, like actual artifacts, were squares and rectangles with a flat top on it. They had like feet, some of them crossed, some of them came straight up, kind of looked like a little mini table. Right. But then again, you have to say, well, if you're going to go with that, then you can't have this because this is round. This is a plate. Kind of goes back to the four corners problem. Right. So heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. And you want to say, well, Earth, therefore, must be flat. And you're like, well, if heaven is the throne, do you believe heaven is shaped like a chair? Because it says heaven is the throne. Earth is the footstool. So if the footstool has to be flat, that means heaven has to be like this, like a chair I'm sitting on right now. Is that the shape of heaven, a chair, a throne shape? You See, the problem here is by doing the Antiochian super liberal interpretation, I mean, super literal, super literal, pardon me, the super literal interpretation, you're now to hold the earth as my footstool is flat consistency. Now you have to say heaven is now a chair shape. And who wants to really argue that? I don't. Okay? What is God saying here in Isaiah 66? It's the distinction between the supernatural realm of heaven and the distinction of earth. Earth is where God puts his feet. It's below him. He's enthroned in heaven. But we also know that God, God the Father, doesn't have feet. He not need to put his feet And we know that he doesn't ever literally put his feet like on the North Pole or the South Pole or Saharan Desert, Siberia, and puts his two feet there. Obviously not. He's making a theological teaching here, not describing the shape or structure of heaven or of earth. I hope that's clear in Isaiah 66. Let me just make sure I've hit all these. Yeah, Okay, so we're coming up on our last verse gone through all of them so far this is our seventh verse and this is a little bit longer this is one from Job and uh, I saw some uh, this is one that flat earth people use to prove their point it's a little bit long I wanted to include all of it for context I'll move it down a little bit so you can see my fat my uh, mouth Job 26 verse 7 he stretched out the north over the empty space and hangeth the earth upon nothing. He bindeth up the waters in his clouds, so that they break not out and fall down together. He withholdeth the face of his throne, and spreadeth his cloud over it, and hath hath set bounds about the waters, till light and darkness come to an end. The pillars of heaven tremble and dread at his beck. So basically what they're saying is they've stretched north out over the empty space and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Again, I see nothing here about flat earth. I see a claim made about north, but it's true. You could say that north hangs over the empty space, over the empty space of the North Pole. And then hangeth the earth upon nothing. When we talk about things hanging, we're not usually talking about plates hanging. We're talking about things like grapes hanging, they're round, apples hanging, they're round. So, hanging things, I would actually say, when you hang something, it tends not to be flat. Things that hang usually tend to be uh, bulbous. And then also towards the end here, he hath uh, set bounds upon the waters. I think that's the case here. Uh, Even round or flat. And... The pillars of heaven tremble. Again, here we have pillars of the earth. Now we have pillars of heaven. Now we got to draw pillars in heaven if we're going to be super literal on all this stuff. And I'm saying, again, these are theological distinctions being made. They're not actually geological because it gets us to having things like pillars in heaven and it gets us to having heaven shaped like a throne, etc. So those are the verses. Um, Again, I'm not saying conclusively they're teaching a sphere, but I'm also saying that the main verses used by the flat earth community are not necessarily convincing. And none of them say flat earth. None of them. So there's features in these verses, like four corners, that may challenge understanding of sphere, but none of them lead you to say, aha, it is a flat earth. It is a flat plate platter okay so that's the video that's the podcast for today we basically started off with the history of sphere earth flat earth we looked at ancient philosophers in greek we looked at church fathers we ran up to saint thomas aquinas of course by the time you get to the 1500s you got portuguese sailors making observations and saying the earth is round we have columbus etc all these things are starting to emerge and there's a consensus. And then we looked at Scripture. And Scripture, I think you can see those are the best verses. Unless I missed one, maybe leave a comment below that I miss. Is there a verse that that the flat earth community uses that I miss? The one I always see, by the way, is the one that I stepped into. was Isaiah 40, 22, where the Lord sits upon the circle of the earth. So, did I miss something? Leave a comment. And if you like the video, please give it a like. Whether you're a flat earth or sphere earth, Give me a thumbs up. I gave it a shot. And I think I was respectful to the flat earth community, even though I do disagree. I do believe the pictures. And I think when Elon Musk goes up as a civilian with people and they're taking pictures and all that, I mean, it'd be a, it'd be hard to fake and fake and fake at this point after uh, since the 1960s to keep that thing going alive with all the different nations, all in one conspiracy, creating fake videos and fake photography. Um, I am open to maybe fake moon landings. I have looked into that a little bit, but I just see the, I think there's too much evidence, both civilian and of course from governments, which I trust less uh, to say that the earth is not a sphere. And of course, you know, I'm a a Thomist. You know, I follow Thomas Aquinas. You know, when I'm not sure, I'm just going to go with Thomas Aquinas and he says sphere. So he says sphere, I'm going to go sphere. Hey, thanks for watching so much. I hope you'll subscribe to the channel. Um, I usually do a lot of Catholic topics, historical topics, philosophical topics. So if you like this, hit the subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified of future videos. If you're into flat earth and you want to learn more about Christianity, who is Christ? How are you saved? How do you go to heaven? How do you avoid hell? What are the sacraments? Do you need to be baptized? What about the Bible? Why do Catholics have seven extra books in their Bible and Protestants have seven less? All these questions, you need this channel. So subscribe. Continue to learn, start praying, and we'll close up with the prayer. We'll do the Hail Mary and we'll sign off. Oremus, nomine patris et fidi et spiritu sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus. et benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus, Santa Maria, Mater Dei, or nobis peccatoribus, nuncreator mortis nostrae. Amen. Nomine patris et fidi et spiritu sancti. Amen. Read the Bible every day, pray the rosary every day, catechize your kids, love Christ. Love your neighbor, and remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth, so go out there and be salty. Salt of the earth.